Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Jeff Henderson. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Launch University Podcast. Jeff Henderson here with you, Kevin Jennings. And Kevin, a few years ago, I read two great books, Predictable Success and The Synergist, and we actually have the author here today, which is really, really cool. I am pumped. I, I'm already, I already know that my project manager... My content strategists, we read the book together, and they will be very jealous of me. So Les challenged us to pronounce his name whatever way we wanted to, but, uh, <laughs> but McEwen, we're going to say, but McCown in Ireland, is that right, Les? Technically, McKeown. You've got to get a yo in there, you know, like you're in the army. <laughs> McKeown. But uh, when I moved over here 20 years ago, I realized that it doesn't translate. So I just answered to pretty much anything. <laughs> well, Les, we're, we're really honored. As, as Kevin said before we went on air, we're, we're both fanboying right now because mm-hmm. we're big fans of yours. And uh, let's start, though, with predictable success. Uh, for those that have not yet read it, and if you haven't read it after this podcast interview, the next thing you need to do is to go either download it or go buy it. Give us just a quick overview of the stages of predictable success. Sure. So uh, what I discovered many years ago is that there are underlying repeating patterns in the growth of any organization. We're probably going to talk mostly in the context of business here today, but uh, the, the, the seven stages in the life cycle uh, of any organization apply to any group of two or more people who are trying to achieve common goals. But I'll talk about it in business. Essentially, there are three growth stages. If you think of an, of an arc, there's three growth stages, then there's a, a peak stage, and then three decline stages. And I'll go through them really quickly. This is very much the least you need to know about predictable success. We've got early struggle, says it all, right? Mm-hmm. Typically, about a three-year period of time, we're just trying to find a market. That's all we're trying to do. Uh, 80% of all new businesses fail in early struggle, don't make it through. So one in five get to the next stage, uh, which is the stage I've given the most technical name to, and we call it fun. (laughs) Call it fun because it's fun. You're having fun. You find your market. You think this is what you started out to do, and it feels fantastic. Uh, Then you grow, and it doesn't feel so good after Mm -hmm. a while because of one thing, complexity. The business gets complex as you get bigger. And so what happens is the business falls into a stage I call whitewater. And I call it that because that's what it feels like. You When you were in fun, everything was sort of a sense of flow. Everything you touched was successful, more or less. And then we hit the stage where we start to basically make mistakes. We start to screw up. We start to drop the ball. A very confusing time for most entrepreneurs because they think they're losing it. They wonder what just went wrong. In fact, it's just the stage when the business needs to mature and get some systems, enterprise-wide systems and processes in place. If you do that, and you choose to do that, uh, which we'll talk about choice, I'm sure, uh, a little later, uh, you can push your business past Whitewater into the stage I call predictable success, which is the peak of the arc. You don't have to. Uh, You can go back to fun, which is a lifestyle business and is a great choice. Nothing Mm. wrong with doing that. The thing you don't want to do is not make a choice and get stuck in Whitewater. Mm. So predictable success What's the difference between it and fun? One thing alone, in predictable success, you can scale. You can't scale in fun. There's always this cap at Whitewater where it gets too complex. Um, Scaling, the ability to grow to whatever size your industry will let you in whatever geographical footprint you want to occupy. And if we do the right things, unlike human aging, we can stay in predictable success for an indefinite period of time. 
but the reality is what happens in most organizations is we just did a good thing and it was painful, but it was very, very uh, profitable. And that is we put systems and processes in place. And so, hey, guess what we'll do next? We'll put more in. And the business begins to slide into the decline stage. It's a stage called treadmill, which is sort of the mirror opposite of whitewater. Whitewater under-processed, treadmill over-processed. We start to have checklists, you know, for everything. Checklists to check that the checklists are being filled in. And that's a really, really binary stage uh, for any organization. If you don't fix that and get back out of treadmill to predictable success, you're on your way out. Because what will happen is if you don't, you get numb to this. You lose the power to self-diagnose. You fall into the penultimate stage, which I call the big rut, which is a long, slow slide into irrelevance. Hmm. And then eventually you hit death rattle, uh, where there's some sort of false signs of life. looks like something's happening, but really we're just stitching the corpse up. Mm-hmm. Wow. And even hearing you say it again, I'm, I'm re-energized about the topic. I mean, because I just feel like when you when you are face to face with those realities and I know and everyone who's listening knows you're not necessarily talking about their business, but you're talking about their business. And they and there's one stage where you you feel it like that. That's where we are right now. And you just don't want to get to the spot where where you're stuck. And so I think one of the follow-ups I have is that most of our listeners are kind of stuck between early struggle and white water, I, I, I would say, mm-hmm. because most of them are the the entrepreneur or the, or the entrepreneur who said, I will take over this new department. The company's going to fund it and I'm going to step out there and lead it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we use the our resourcefulness to get us to a certain point. But I'm curious with that is where, where do we focus? Like, I, I think as a leader, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm if I'm in Whitewater, what should be my priority? If I'm if I'm in fun and, and I want to go to predictable success, what should I be thinking about in that stage? Because I know every stage has a, has a unique problem with it and a unique opportunity as well. So I just love to say between early struggle, fun, and Whitewater, what should be the focus of the leader and maybe the focus of the organization in preparation for what's next? Sure. Uh, let's just start with early struggle real quick, because I'm sure there are a number of our listeners are uh, wondering if they're still in there. And you, the, the way to define, uh, to understand whether you're still in early struggle or not is, do you have a sustainable market? Do you know you're going to get revenue in the, you know, for the foreseeable future? Or are you not sure yet that you've got a market? Because that's the key thing. So if you're in early struggle, um, and typically you'll know you're in early struggle because you're not making any money. Um, of course, you can lose money in all of the stages at certain points, but in early struggle, you just haven't broken through to profitability yet. You've got to do one thing, just one thing, which is a relentless focus on finding a profitable, sustainable market. Uh, and there are a couple of things that uh, are important in doing that. One is don't get overly focused on one customer. You can't afford to do that. Of those 80% of businesses that fail, a large percentage of them thought they had a viable business because they had one big customer for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And they allowed that to take the focus away from finding the markets. You've got to go find the market. Mm-hmm. The other thing in, in early struggle to do is be really ruthless personally about your cash flow. Don't pretend. Um, one of the things I teach uh, the folks that I work with, I don't do any work in early struggle uh, these days, but when I was coaching executives or, or uh, business founders um, in the days when I did work in early struggle, one of the things I made them do was put a spreadsheet up, show every single dollar of expense hmm. and only the income that they literally have invoiced. No projections. D- projections are the numbing gel of early struggle you know you put the spreadsheet up there's all these red numbers at the bottom so you say oh we're going to that convention on on august that'll generate x and you put in an imagined x and you sort of get a little you know numb to the fact that you you're going to run out of money very soon so be ruthless with yourself and focus on finding that market in fun you know this is going to sound a little counterintuitive 
don't focus on anything. Just do it. Just do it. That's, that's how you grow your business. You actually can't afford to be going to the balcony and overthinking in fun. Wow. What I say to f- uh, folks uh, in fun is, I guarantee the most common word you use is yes. You say yes to everything because, you know, you're excited, you're evangelical about your business, you've got out of early struggle, you've found your market, you want all the low-hanging fruit that you can get. Just do that. You try to pre-plan to avoid whitewater, you'll just stunt your growth. So wow. just focus on it. You can worry about whitewater when you get there because there's nothing, you're, there's nothing more certain you're going to get there. Um, so in fun, just sit back and enjoy the ride. In whitewater then, a big thing happens. And the key shift in whitewater is, listeners, I'm pointing to my temples, is the four <laughs> inches between the founder's ears. It's a mind shift change. In fun, the business is us and we are the business. In whitewater, if you want to get to predictable success, the business has got to be given rights. It's got to become an entity on its own. You've got to shift to being a steward of your business, ruthlessly dedicated to doing what's best for the business, which is going to increasingly become separate from what's best for you personally. Wow. That's great. I, Jeff, please. We, that's, that's, that's fantastic. And I love the fact that, hey, just enjoy the fun. And um, and also, as you said, less people can come back to fun. They don't have to go to predictable success. That's 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 awesome as well. Um, Kevin, I'd love to talk a little bit about the synergist as well. Yeah, please. You want to move to that? As yeah, well? I think yeah, I think so. I mean, I think one of the things that I was telling Les and Jeff this is what we started when I read Predictable Success about eighteen months ago, uh, maybe two years ago now. It felt like a lighthouse. Like, I know I'm in early struggle, even right now in my business. Um, and I mean, and you say, what do you mean, Kevin? You're making, no, because I made money as a consultant. And I think going from a consultant to a company that has a service that even goes beyond you is its own set of early struggles. It's like, it's like you're, re, you're restarting the early struggle again. And, and so one of the things that really stands out to me is that it feels like a lighthouse illuminating the water ahead of you saying, hey, you may not be in white water yet, but one day when you feel it and you're frustrated and going to your spouse and you're almost crying at night, you, you know, Les will come back to you in your ear and say, <laughs> you're in white water. Um, and so one of the questions that, that came out of the book was how do we avoid it? And you brought up leadership styles. And, um, and so for those that don't know, he wrote a book called The Synergist. And so, Jeff, you had a question about that. I want to make sure people knew what we were talking about when we say synergist. Well, again, this is another one of Les' books we would highly encourage you to, to read. And so to give you a little bit of an appetizer, Les, give us the, the, the overview of The Synergist. Sure, and I want to want to want to make clear is that in fact the uh, predictable success, the life cycle we just talked about, and the uh, uh, synergies, the concepts I'm about to share with you, are actually one model. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two are integral to each other, mm-hmm. uh, and the only reason that they're two books is that nobody would have bu- bought a book that thick. So, <laughs> and, and that I was able to velcro apart the two aspects. One is the stages that the organizations go through and the other are the leadership styles. It's the leadership styles, in fact, that determine which stage you're going to get stuck in if you're going to get stuck. And I'll go through it real quickly. Yes. Um, at the outset, back at our early struggle, you remember I said that uh, 80% of all businesses failed. The one in five that get there, they do so for two reasons. One is that ruthless focus on a, on a profitable, sustainable market that we talked about. And the second reason is the existence right at the outset of someone that we call the visionary. That's the person who has the idea, usually somewhat charismatic, usually got an awful lot of ability to communicate what they're trying to do. Um, It might be steely uh, charisma. They may not necessarily be flamboyant, but 
you know, you know when you've met the visionary in the business, they own this thing. Uh, and they often, they are usually the founder. They literally uh, own it. And it's the visionary's resilience, the fact that when you knock them down, they get up 20 times in one day that gets you through early struggle because that really is a barbaric process and you need somebody highly resilient. And you need a vision, obviously, to keep your North Star. So the visionaries there at the outset in um, every successful business that gets a predictable success, there was a visionary uh, uh, right there. Here's the thing about visionaries. They're in essence starters. They get their endorphin release by getting things started. They get really antsy when it comes to grinding out the detail once something gets started. And they typically know that. So what happens is they they um, grab for themselves pretty early on one or two or more of uh, people who I call operators. And operators are just ruthless finishers. That's, that's mm-hmm. all they are. They're people who just go through a breeze block wall to get something done. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't like fancy schmancy titles. They don't like brainstorming. They don't like white, whiteboards. They don't go like going on four-day retreats. They just like doing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and a, a visionary with one or more operators is the combo that takes the business out of early struggle and into fun. And one of the great problems of getting out of early struggle is, in fact, if you're capable of being both the visionary and the operator, you end up trying to do both and get stuck. Mm. Something I call the artisan trap. You just get stuck in the sell-do, sell-do cycle. We don't have time to go into that. Mm. You need to separate the visionary and operator role. You need the ability to vision and execute simultaneously. You get that, you burst out of early struggle, you get into um, fun, and the visionary and then usually multiple operators, they start having fun. They just knock it dead. They get up in the morning, say yes to everything, and then somehow exhaustedly, you know, fall to the floor Friday night, uh, having done it all. Fr- uh, fun is when we're having Friday night pizza and beer, mm-hmm. um, basically for two reasons. First of all, we don't have an HR department telling us that we can't yet. Uh, and, <laughs> and secondly, we're getting righteously exhausted at the end of every week because we, we just crushed it and it was exhausting, but it feels great. Now, what happens is that the visionary and operator get a way of thinking, uh, essentially bringing a movable force to any object that they need to um, uh, uh, to move around. Uh, watching visionary and operators is a bit like watching six-year-olds play flockball. You know, it's just one big pile of people and the ball's under there somewhere and they're just going following the ball. <laughs> but that gets ingrained. And what happens is when we hit whitewater, whenever uh, we've become too complex to just make it up every day, we tend to double down on this mm. for a while bef- and, and, and try even harder before we realize, hold on a minute, between us, we haven't got what it takes to fix this. We need somebody who I call the processor. That's somebody who thinks about systems and processes, um, who brings you know order to chaos, who makes us do things in a repeatable fashion, who actually puts forms and standard operating process procedures together. Um, and it's that combination of the visionary, the operator, and the processor that's fundamentally necessary to get to predictable success. You don't get there without the three of them. Here's the catch. These three are like oil and water. The visionary and operator have had great success for many years, and during that time, they build deep sweat equity. They trust each other, finish each other's sentences. Now here's this new cocky little processor coming in here, telling us how to do things, <laughs> looking at us like we're a pair of jerks. You know, how did you ever succeed? But it'll be okay. Now I'm here, and I fill in this form in triplicate. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't naturally gel. And it took this was the final piece of the whole predictable success puzzle, and it was actually what brought me here from Ireland 20 years ago, was in search. I knew there was a missing element somewhere because I knew there were many organizations in predictable success for a long time. Up to that point, I was helping people get into predictable success by showing the visionary operator processor how to get along. Mm. 
Mm. But then what would happen is six months later, I'd get a phone call and I'd say, you know, we're back to bickering again. Mm. Ah, shoot. And I'd go back up and we'd put more band-aids on them. But I moved out here 20 years ago and got the opportunity to work with a number of incredible businesses, watching teams in predictable success work. Microsoft, Harvard University, U.S. Army, American Express, Sun Microsystems. And something, I had an aha moment. Those teams that are in predictable success had learned a fourth style. And that style, I came to call it the synergist style. It's a learned style. There's some natural synergists, but most of us learn it. And what that essentially means is that you give up the need to scratch your visionary itch, your operator itch, or your processor itch to do what's best for the organization, to do what's best for the company. And it's that synergist role, this is why I call the second book The Synergist. That's the glue that holds the visionary operator processor together. And so mm. these days, what I spend most of my time doing are taking highly uh, uh, functioning visionary operator processor teams, highly functioning in their own ability, and teach them how to develop the synergist style so that they don't drive each other crazy, they don't beat up on each other. And as a team, they make really high quality decisions. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So, one of the questions I've always wanted to ask when it comes to that group of styles is when you think about visionaries and operators, you can kind of easily kind of apply stereotypical titles to it. CEO, COO, right? You mean you, you might, you can just kind of, kind of jump around with that. When I think synergist, you think HR, but then you think about how HR shows in those organizations and you're like, I don't know if that's really it. And then think about on a project level, I mean, I've experienced, as soon as I read the book, I said, man, I've dealt with that on projects. My projects that have succeeded, there was one of those four personality types present that was just, and we just, we didn't know it at the time. We didn't have that language. So who typically is a synergist? I mean, is, is there a typical role in an organization that plays that role? Or is it really just once again, a person's decision on how they're going to, how they're going to lead themselves and lead others? The synergist style only really has value uh, in two situations. One in a group environment. Uh, it's why many natural synergists are sort of wallflowers uh, most of the time. You don't notice them because when they're on their, you know, individually, they're not making big song and dance. You really notice them when they're in a team because the team begins to just cohese a lot easier. And you, you, a good synergist, you don't even notice it happening. You just realize over time, oh, every time we nearly got stuck, it was it was uh, Jenny who did mm-hmm. what was necessary mm-hmm. to move. So uh, they only come to the foreign teams by and large. And secondly, they only have a role to play in predictable success, late whitewater in and into predictable mm-hmm. success. A synergist, you hire a synergist in fun, they'll get frustrated and leave because there's nothing to synergize. The visionary operator getting along just fine. Mm-hmm. So to, to, to come back to answer your question, um, as you intuitively pointed out, synergists don't often have a, like a C role title that's naturally attached to the style. Sometimes in marketing, you'll mm-hmm. find strong synergists um, often in the people development side of HR, mm-hmm. definitely not in the paperwork side of HR. Mm-hmm. You often got a processor in that role. Unlike the others where you can see, uh, as you say, COO, CEO, it's in mm-hmm. the title. Um, you've got your CFO mm-hmm. processor, CIO processor. Mm-hmm. What's important is that the whole team develop the ability to move into the synergist role. They don't mm-hmm. have to be full-time synergists, but because it's a learned role, um, it's a style that you can know to switch on. And that's what I teach uh, the executives I work with. Um, you know, they, they frequently say to me, how do we accelerate this process? Can we go buy a synergist somewhere? I said, well, you can if you want, uh, but that's not a long-term solution. The long-term solution, let's get one in as sort of like yeast 
in order mm. to be- begin the process. But I want you to get to the point where all of you can shift into overdrive. You can all make a move. So what I teach people to do is to move from being vi- visionaries to being visionary synergists, to move from being operators to being operator synergists, to move from being processors to being processor synergists. Wow. And then we may have a couple of synergists dotted around. I can tell you the ones that are the hardest to make that shift are the operators. Um, visionaries usually make it first because typically they own the business and they're scared that if they don't do the right thing, it'll go down. Uh, and secondly, processors uh, then do the formula, the equation, and they work it out and say, oh, that's what's missing, and they'll move on. There. Operators sitting there with their arms crossed stare at this, and you know, when I'm working with teams, I can tell the processors immediately, they're looking at me like thinking, this is more, forgive what I'm about to say, this is more business bullshit bingo, right? Mm-hmm. This is just another one of those fancy schmancy, you've, got, you've written a book, haven't you? You know, mm-hmm. this is just consultant ease. They need <laughs> to see it. You know, they're like Wisconsin, they're the, or is it Missouri? Which one's the show me state? I always Missouri. There you go. Um, they got to see it. Um, mm-hmm. An operator will only come on board once they see that it's actually working. Uh, but when you get a strong operator synergist, that's a very powerful combo. Wow, that's so, so good. So for the less for the team, that the person that's an entrepreneur inside an organization, which one of these books, because I, I would suggest that they read this with their team, which yes. one should they start with? Uh, with your senior team, start with predictable success. Okay. Get the overall concept of the stages because it's very useful to go to the synergist being aware of where you are mm-hmm. because then you can concentrate on the styles that are needed not just to optimize where you are but mm-hmm. where you need to get to. Mm-hmm. What I do recommend is that Use predictable success at the senior level, uh, what I call T1, the first tier of decision-making. might just be two of you. You know, I work with companies where it's 20 people. Work with uh, your senior team with predictable success. Then introduce the uh, synergist concepts, the VOPS, and then push um, the synergist concepts, the visionary operator processor synergist styles, down right through the organization. You want every part of your business knowing the distinctions. And here's the reason why. Uh, it happens over and over and over again. Literally, so I do a one-day workshop, say I do a one-day workshop with a company. By the first break, we've introduced, uh, I do the whole life cycle, we introduce the four styles. Literally on that break, I walk around, you know, twice a week, most 40 weeks of the year doing this. I'm listening to people saying to each other, I just realized for the first time, you're not a jerk, you're a processor <laughs> or something like that, mm-hmm. right? People, it, it, it pulls away 80% of what people think are personality conflicts and makes it a role-based issue, which is much easier to deal with. You know, you've got charge neutral terminology to deal with conflict that you thought was just because Kevin was driving me crazy, right? Because right. mm-hmm. Kevin was Kevin. Now I realize Kevin's a processor. Mm-hmm. He wants everything mm-hmm. in spreadsheets. I get it. And we need processors. I get it. I'm not saying it removes all conflict, but it takes an awful lot of it away. Mm. Man, that's well said. Well, I, I think my final question uh, was really just saying, okay, for the people who are are developing, you know, hopefully tomorrow's organizations in predictable success, you obviously lead your own business as well as you know your student of business in this in this way. What advice would you have to those saying, hey, you know what, I'm I'm not there yet, but this is something that you looking back on your own experiences would say, if I give you any advice, this is what I would. I would want you to to be mindful of as you're going out, building, launching that new division, department, product as well. The key thing that I would suggest is to um, keep your antennae up for when you hit whitewater. Don't let it happen subconsciously. Most business owners just... They talk about it's been a tough year or it's been a tough couple of years because you're not up in the balcony looking down on your business. Why would you be? You're just working with it and you think, 
oh, you know, 2016 was great. I don't know what happened last year, and this year's not much better. If you're in Whitewater, which basically you can tell because you're messing up, your customer, you're starting to get customer satisfaction issues um, systemically. That means you're, you've hit Whitewater. Um, at that point, you've got to make a conscious decision. Do you want to be king or do you want to be rich? And, and mm-hmm. I'm being a little bit, um, there's much more nuance to that, and it's that's a little transactional. But that's essentially that mind shift is, in fun, you're it, mm-hmm. right? You are it. And basically everybody does what you say and you get to come in on Monday morning and say whatever the heck you want, right? Mm. You went to a conference and you came up with 10 brilliant ideas. Let's go in and try them all. So you can set fires all over the place. You cannot get to predictable success with that mindset. This is the point at which the founder turns into CEO if he or she wants to get to predictable success. Mm -hmm. And that's a different mindset. Now the interests of the business are paramount. I don't get to play with this like it's my toy. But here's the problem. I still own 100% of the business, so I actually do if I want to. And the discipline to move from being a founder to a CEO is really hard. One of the things that always, I speak at conferences, the one line that everybody stops writing at and looks at me, as if I'm crazy, is when I say, if you want to scale your business, you have to stop calling yourself the founder. Because all that is, is a right to pull a ripcord and mess is all about. Wow. Hmm. Wow. I, I mean, I really don't have much to say for that besides thank you. I mean, I, I really I really do believe that this is one of those episodes where, um, you know, our entire, our entire focus is helping people launch well. Um, we, we feel like um, when you have the right proven principles and practices in your heart and in your mind around you with counsel, with community, before you get started, you just make better decisions. And we want to see more organizations be a part of that 20 percent, um, especially if they have something that's valuable. And obviously your book is designed at its essence to do just that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this conversation, I feel, is one of those things where I wish I had this conversation even um, with you two or three years ago, because I think it would have been a big game changer in my life. So I want to thank you for your time. Um, we want to recommend again to Jess Point, please, 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 please. We cannot recommend this book enough. Uh, we both read it and, and it does make a difference. I have every contractor I work with take the synergist quiz because when, especially we're working with a remote team, you want to expedite your ability to work well with one another. And you don't even have the opportunity to kind of do the storming phase right, of, of, of building a team because you don't have the, the, the capacity or the cash in early struggle to really you know, go through the motions on that. So the Synergist quiz is free. I highly recommend it to anyone. Um, actually, I think Casey Graham um, yeah, in fact, put, put me into it. Yeah, so Casey has a company called Gravy, and uh, I think Les coaches Casey, and he knows exactly who he needs to hire for these particular roles. And so he they take the Synergist quiz. And so, and I, you know, it goes back to the most important thing you decision is who does what? Who that's does right. what? Who does what? And that's how the synergists can help. Absolutely. So recommend getting those books. We'll have the uh, links to those in the show notes. So go to Launch University. That's Y-O-U with university.com forward slash podcast. We'll have all of the fantastic takeaways from this podcast. Um, we know there's a lot to take away from. So Les, thank you again for your time. We appreciate it. Um, and for those who are still with us, we would love for you to subscribe to this podcast. If you want this kind of content because that's what it takes right you just got mentored by a best-selling author that's how this works and we want to bring that to you on a regular basis so we would love for you to um, subscribe to the podcast and grow on the go every single week um, and then beyond that we'd love for you to give us a rating and review uh, feedback is our friend and we'd love the opportunity to improve how we do this if it's someone we should reach out to to get them on the podcast please let us know and so jeff thanks again for hanging with me buddy absolutely all right see you again next time on the launch university podcast Oh,
Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.